Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. So glad that you're with us tonight. And if you're listening to this by podcast, we say thank you. And uh, we're glad that you're also listening to this. And uh, my name is Kurt. I am one of two of your hosts. And we also have a awesome producer. So the other host is Chris Woolwin. Chris. Peekaboo. <laughs> and then Annie, our producer. Hello. I uh, appreciate you both being on the show. And uh, it's been interesting because we've we've been kind of going back and forth between guests and not having guests. And uh, tonight, we had an awesome guest last week, right? Jason Hickey. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, his story was pretty awesome. Uh, just to get to know him. Not, you know, pretty awesome is probably a bad term. His story was awesome. <clears throat> pretty awesome means kind of okay. So he, he was awesome, and his story okay. was awesome. And okay. uh, tonight, though, it's you and me and Annie, and you guys are awesome. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I appreciate you both, and I appreciate everyone listening. And tonight, we're going to be talking about fear. And, I mean, that's not anything that, you know, people can relate to these days. But figure, you know, I don't know where it came from, but I woke up, thought to myself, self, fear might be a good topic to cover for some strange reason. I don't know why. So we're we're going to talk about that. And this our whole show, Chris, is is really about the idea that we walk through life and life has sharp edges because it's broken and it, uh, it cuts us, it hurts us. And, uh, yet we have a God who heals. And the whole point is, is he is a God of hope, a God of comfort, a God of love and a God of restoration. And he not only restores us, he also calls us to be a part of the process for in our lives and in other people's lives and being more and more aware of him, growing in our awareness of him helps us heal and also share that healing with others. And so fear, we're going to talk about how fear comes into that, how fear can hinder that and what we can do about it. And so first, before we roll into that, Chris, trivia this is uh, this is Trivia. your invention. You you masterminded this awesome segment that we start with. <laughs> well, that, that doesn't you. say much about my mind if I masterminded it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think it does. So um, let's talk. Let's talk uh, trivia. Maybe uh, do you have? Well, first of all, do you have anything? Well. Um, well, yeah, but there's only, I mean, I had a whole bunch of things, but only one thing is coming to mind. <laughs> uh, and that is the, 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 the weight, I would say, of the largest turtle ever found oh. on, on record. The, the weight? weight of, yeah. Uh-huh. Of, of the yeah. largest turtle. It was found in 1988. Oh, I, that's a very familiar year to me. It's the year yeah, I graduated we're... high school. Is that okay. dating me? Is that, is that giving away too much? Uh, I was four. <laughs> You're welcome. 
<laughs> Great. <laughs> I, I was already married three years. <laughs> whoa. I think we have, a, we have just uh, put ourselves on a tier from youngest to oldest right there. <laughs> we know now who's the oldest and who's the youngest and who's in the middle. Um, can you tell would it give would it be giving too much away to tell us what kind of turtle that I don't know. I oh. saw a picture of a turtle a big one <laughs> it's the big. big one okay, uh, so I will tell you well, do you have a guess on the weight well, uh, is it a turtle or a tortoise? No, it was a water turtle. Okay, okay, so a probably turtle. a sea turtle, maybe, because those yeah, are the, those are the monsters. They get pretty big, and they do. And so I won't have night. Speaking of fear, I won't have nightmares tonight. Thinking of a giant snapping turtle, I'll think of like the sea turtles from like Crush from uh, Finding Nemo. You know, <laughs> so I'll be okay. Yeah. I'm gonna. I just yeah, want there to, you go. I'll be okay tonight. Um, I'm gonna guess 300 pounds. Okay. Yeah, you're a little off. Yeah, well, that, I've that. heard that a lot. 1,568. Yeah, you're a little off. <laughs> 1, I mean, 1,000 pounds, if you think about it, like for some of the biggest pigs in the world are 1,000 to 1,300 pounds. Mm, um, most, most uh, you know, steers and cattle are in the 1,000-pound range. Mm, the largest weight of a turtle or the largest heaviest turtle of the large I don't know how large they call it large but it's really the heaviest was 2,116 pounds wow okay well you won that yeah yeah you you didn't go over that what is, what is it? That just uh, blows it me away. Of... How big does that turtle have to be to be that size? I'm thinking that turtle's got to be like, I don't know, seven feet long and six feet wide or something. Oh, my gosh. That is just but a But think about this. Turtle. Don't you weigh less underwater? So that means I'm actually closer to the weight because he yeah, weighs less right. underwater. So he's yeah, probably closer yeah. to 1,500 pounds. Hmm. Now, here's another one I just remembered. Speaking of, uh, you know, being in a location that affects the weight, if you were to live in Antarctica for three months or longer, would your brain get larger or smaller? Oh, it would get smaller because I'd be in Antarctica. That's an easy one. <clears throat> Um, who wants to live in Antarctica? Like, what is there to do there? Your brain gets smaller. Let's say what? you're a researcher. Yeah. Well, but what if you're, you're thinking of ways of getting out? Then you're still thinking. <laughs> right. But it's interesting. <laughs> the reason that, that your brain is shrinking in Antarctica has nothing to do with Antarctica. Really? It, it actually has to do with you being isolated. <gasps> I was and trying. isolation... Yeah, so you're partially right. In isolation, um, when there's nothing to do and there's a lack of brain stimulation, um, your 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 brain shrinks hmm. when when you're in isolation because there's not as much to do um, as there would be in other parts of the world. So I yeah, there you go. There's my trivia for the day: turtles in Antarctica. 
and brains. Hmm. Okay, I. So my trivia. Those were good trivia. I and mine for once. This is a moment. Everyone, write this in your in your journal and your calendar. Make notes that Chris and I had very different trivia ideas tonight. Okay. For the first time. For the first time ever. For the first time. And oh wait, wait. That was. Uh, do I? Can I get sued for singing Frozen right there? I could. Okay. Wait. It was less than fifteen seconds. Especially the way you do. Oh, ouch. Oof. Okay. Uh, so I, mine is, I've got quotes from presidents about fear. That See, I'm so thematic. I get how you are. What's that? You're so thematic. <laughs> I thought you said dramatic. Uh, that's That could be the case. Well, that too. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Right. <laughs> no, just kidding. Okay, so um, you have some you have some trivia yeah. about fear. Yeah, okay. so I'm going to throw some out there, and I want to see if you guys can name the president. Okay, right. Um, so here's one: Let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. Hmm. Anyone have any thoughts of who that might be? Um, Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> Somebody's been listening to uh, music from a musical, like my Little kids. Uh, no. uh, Got a guess, Chris? I'm gonna say Nixon. Ooh, no, way closer than she was though. It was John F. Kennedy oh, that okay. said that. Um, this this one is um, not well. Uh, okay, we'll do this one actually. First of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Who's that? Fear itself. Yes. Who's the president? Um, There's a World War quote. II president. Yeah. Mm, narrowing it down. Annie, quick, give it, throw a guess Alexander in there. Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's, she's determined. Like, that's I guess that's the only thing it. I know anything about because of the musical. <laughs> <laughs> you know other presidents besides him. Mm. You know the names of other presidents? I know some of the names, but what they said, what they did, when they were George Washington. Uh, I think it's the guy. I think it's the guy that's on the dime. Ooh, that, Oh, yes. Yeah, I didn't have that either. Franklin D. Roosevelt. Yes, it is. It is him. Yeah. All right, one more. We'll just do one more, and this will take us into our topic, actually. So this one is uh, people react to fear, not love. They don't teach you that in Sunday school, but it's true. I love that. People react to fear, not love. They don't teach you that in Sunday school, but it's true. <clears throat> Who said that? That one stumps me. I don't know. Mm. 
Um, Annie. <laughs> Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> Would that be Lincoln? That wouldn't be Lincoln. Ooh, Chris, if you went back to your original president that you mentioned. Nixon? Richard Nixon said that. Yes. Wow, he went to Sunday school. Okay. (laughs) Oh, well, maybe somebody (laughs) who wrote that speech for him went to Sunday school. (laughs) Uh, Either he he would have to have gone to Sunday school to know whether they say that in Sunday school. Or maybe... Maybe the guy who wrote, or the woman who wrote the speech for him, went to Sunday yeah. school. There you go. Well, could be. So here's here's my question. I mean, obviously, right now, there's a lot of fear with uh, with the coronavirus, with uh, this going on worldwide. Right? There's yeah. tons of fear. Fears in the air. There's no doubt about that. And I hear a lot of people say I'm not I'm not making decisions in fear when that's actually what we're doing. And so my question for tonight to start things off, Chris, is why do we, like Nixon said, we react out of fear. Like more than we realize, we react out of fear. Where does that come from? Why do we react out of fear so much? What's what's the source of that? I mean, fear is everywhere. Human beings are fearful creatures. So what's up with that? Mm-hmm. What, what would you... Well, and this is interesting because, you know, I didn't know what our topic was going to be until just like about an hour ago. I, I wonder why that is. Yeah. And uh <laughs> I wonder if because people weren't organized today or somebody. But it's interesting because I, I didn't really even have an idea what our topic would be, which is kinda like how we like to do that. We sometimes uh try not to get too specific uh, in the direction so that we can just have fresh responses. And uh as as you started to ask the question, I immediately was thinking, especially when you talked about why is it that everyone, you know, putting everybody in this category, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm sure people that go, well, I'm not afraid, I'm afraid, but getting beyond that and just recognizing that a, a, that everybody deals with some kind of fear. Even yeah. if they say they don't, it's their response to it is either to cover it, deflect it, admit it, go to therapy for it, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's definitely there. And as I thought about everyone having fear, you almost have to get the idea that not only is this a common thing, but this may get even to a part of the core of who we are um, as human beings. In other words, in, in, some, in some aspect to our core identity, much like we talk about um, 
you know, there are lots of kinds of addictions that are out there that can mess with us. But when we start dealing with addictions that are on the sexual side, that actually burrows far deeper into who we are uh, because it's affecting our identity. Mm. Uh, it's it's uh, print, imprinting something upon our identity so that we we are deeply affected at far deeper levels than say just uh, you know an addiction to say gambling or uh, which is a non-chemical addiction or an addiction to drugs or alcohol or whatever. So I don't know. What do you think about that? That uh, fear actually burrows far deeper than a lot of aspects to our life. And, you know, especially when you think about uh, that first fear in the garden, you know, mm. Uh, that's mm. experienced that that maybe instead of saying this is this is somehow associated with our identity, it is perhaps instead you could say this is more deeply associated with the core of our sin problem mm. or our our sin nature. You know, we often say that. Pride is the mother of all sins, you know, or something like that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes maybe maybe fear uh, is associated in some way to to that as well. I don't know. Those are just my thoughts. Well, those are great thoughts. Um, and I, uh, I, you, you put some thoughts in my head and some questions. Um, Chris, am I, is my mic? breaking up at all no so yours was a little bit chris and uh, at least for me just to, to um i don't know if you if you have it right near your mouth but just to give you a heads up on that um but what you what you first said there's a couple my mind is going in like three or four different directions so uh the thing that you said about fear and sex both of those things being tied to deeply to our identity like my my question is that came to mind was first of all why why when you say that i guess what are what do you mean fear is uh tied to our identity like can you unpack that a little bit when you're talking about like uh, identity and fear and sex and fear, like how is like w our identity, who we are, how we view ourselves, uh, how we operate, like based on who we think we are, that fear is tied to that. Mm. I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. Where you, well, where you know, I'm just, with that? I'm, um, I'm just trying to, uh, I'm I'm asking the same question in hmm. in the sense that you know not everybody in the human race deals uh with a problem with say gambling right right or or addiction to shopping <laughs> or an addiction to saving um not not everybody's got various uh things that they 
they feel strongly about or they res or they react to they go to a basic reaction and then we typically will identify that reaction as well that's who they are that's their personality let's say but when you're talking about something like fear we can pretty much get to a get to a sense that that Everybody, it, everybody has more than just a fear response. There is something that is, that is driving who we are um, because of fear. So, for instance, um, and and a lot of this may even just be from childhood. I don't know, but you know, the someone who is driven to success. Have you ever asked? why someone is driven to success. And, and uh, if you were to press the matter, oftentimes it can get down to, um, well, I don't want to fail. <laughs> you mm. know, a fear of failure or a fear okay. of being without money, something like that. Uh, so that that's where I'm going with that. Okay. Is, is, is kind of thing and and what one of the things you said in the in that whole uh just that little segment right there was the idea of of fear being what i heard anyway was the idea of fear being a base issue for all of us so when you were talking about identity i was yeah. thinking originally as you were talking about individual identity but what i what I think I hear you saying is that when you're talking in this case, what you're talking about identity is you're talking about all of us, community, a corporate identity, so to speak. Yeah, that that human. might be attached to sin. Yeah, right. So there's this connecting this that fear connects us to each other. It's an identity we all something we all deal with. So it's. It's more not just an individual identity. What I hear you talking about is how we identify ourselves as a human, as the human race, as one people, and that's that's really intriguing. And uh, just just before we go on, you just mentioned the idea of you know fear over over you know money, not having enough money, and you mentioned one. That was, or, you know, an addiction of saving money. And I, I think there's a lot of people right now in the world that wish they had that addiction sooner than this. Uh, <laughs> right. the, the addiction to saving money, because right now that's, I would say, a huge part of this yeah. for all of us is that fear of not having enough money. Right? right. And we're all, we're, everyone. In other words, the world event is actually bringing out or revealing a fear that perhaps you didn't know you had, but there it is. And, you know, and sometimes it's not about money or success. It can be about beauty or strength or popularity or uh, importance or smart. I'm not, uh, you know, think about how many kids... Uh, you know, are driven by a fear because they were condemned for not being smart enough. Mm. And so, 
So I'm not saying that that necessarily we're we are because I don't know. I don't know if we're born with fear, but there are certainly some childhood elements that all all seem to ring around fear. I wanted to say ring around the rosy, ring around, which is kind of a scary song, but. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but it's interesting that there are so many childhood experiences that are filtered through fear as as kids. Um, yeah. So yeah, keep going. Uh, well, let's first of all let's stop right there and talk about um, "Ring Around the Rosie." That's an interesting thing that you just brought that up, and that's a scary song. It's kind of timely, from my understanding of where we are. As as a country in the world, um, what we're kind of back to trivia a little bit. What, do you know the 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 um, the reason or what that song was describing? The theme of that song. Well, just go ahead and tell us. No, no, you. T- I want you to. Like, Wasn't you it the plague? Up. Yeah. It was one of it the. Was. It was one of the diseases that was out there. Yes. Very good, Annie. I want to say the plague. Which During plague? Alexander Hamilton's it? time. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Ding, 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 ding. We have another theme. <laughs> it's going to keep coming back tonight to haunt us. Alexander, the ghost of Alexander Hamilton. Speaking of fear, now I'm scared. Um. Yeah, which which plague was it, Chris? I'm trying to remember I, for myself. Well, I can look it up here, but um, I did not know there was more it, than it one was plague. Around, it, it was in Europe. Seventeen. Uh, um, anyway, keep going. Okay. Well, I was just curious if you uh, if you knew which plague it was. I didn't know the, the, all the details because I wasn't even registering that. I just knew that it wasn't a, a happy, you know, it had a not a happy meaning to it. Yeah. Well, uh, what's interesting what you said earlier. It's just funny that even bringing that song up has to do with fear and it has it touches on our fears of plague and virus that we're dealing with now. So it's just kind of interesting, even the, the language that you were using. But the uh, well, here it, it is. I found it, it. It has often been associated with the Great Plague that happened in England in 1665, or even with earlier outbreaks called the Black Death in England. Yeah, yeah. That's the one I was thinking was the Black Plague. Yeah. And that's not just because it's the name of a game I play. Um, right. And some people think it's folklore, but but anyway, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting that like right there is a song, an expression, you know, like we we sing it, and don't even think about the fact that it was it was a song that expressed fear, a song yeah. that was was made out of a sense of having 
to do something with the fear that people were feeling at that time, right? And it's interesting what we look for in our outlets for our fear, where we go to. Uh, but it, I'm, I'm more interested in the root than, you know, what comes out from our fear. Because we can see right now in our world what's coming out from being afraid. We're afraid of, you know, not having enough money um, as we're all isolated at home. Uh, and funny enough that Chris, again, tie-in, you talked about uh, our brain shrinking <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh like your your trivia about Antarctica, right? Was uh was was about uh really about the brain gets smaller because it's in because we're in isolation. So that's really interesting. The like you, you've got all these themes going on these tie-ins and uh Annie has Alexander Hamilton, but you have all these other ones. Um the one of the things you said, Chris, that I want to really about when we come back from the break is that idea of pride and fear because I think there's an intriguing connection there and you talked about Adam and Eve and I think I'd like to pick up cool. in, right there between all of those when we get back from our, our break and as we go into it the first thing I do want to say is if you're listening to us live thank you for hanging in there with us tonight. And you, if you're looking at the, the computer screen as you're listening or a phone or a mobile device, there should be a number, but I'm going to say it anyway. We would love for you to call in and ask questions, give your thoughts and comments. And this is a great time to do it because you're all stuck at home. So might as well. And just, we don't have a guest. Yeah. And we don't have a guest. So you might as well call in and talk mm -hmm. to us. Because we're isolated and afraid. So here's the number, 323-580-5755, 323-580-5755. Or you can find us on our website. And uh, I'm going to actually not worry about that right now, but we do have a Life Hurts God Heals website, and we also have email, and I'm going to let Annie take it from here and uh, and hear about some interesting other shows that are on our linked local network. Hey, friends, and thank you for tuning in to Life Hurts God Heals. If this is Tuesday and somewhere between 7 and 9 p.m. Pacific, you're listening to us live. If you have a question for Kurt and Chris during this time, please give us a call at 323 580 5755. If you cannot call, that's okay. You can always reach us through our Facebook page, Life Hurts, God Heals, or send us an email at lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. That's all one word. We'd also like to thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. Some of the other shows that are a part of the Link Local Network are The Road to Recovery on Sundays at 7 p.m. Central, Community Voices Chat, which is currently every other Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, The Pillars of Franchising, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Link Local Network in your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any of our episodes. Again, our email is lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com, all one word, or give us a call at 323-580-5755. And back to you, Kurt and Chris. All right. 
thank you, Annie, for that. And we are going to talk again about fear. And where I left off was this idea of, Chris, of you talked about pride. You talked about that that's a deep root. Um, and it's also we can we can see that all the way back to uh, the garden with Adam and Eve. And I really believe everything has its roots there. I often go back there so many times in my thoughts and in my and um, and in my scripture reading. I often go back to those first three chapters of Genesis. So um, the idea of pride and fear just a question for you chris what do you think if you if you uh were digging into that as far as just in your own thinking and from all of your experiences and reading scripture and and also studying it to teach other people over the years what do you think the 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 tie-in to pride and fear is there's a connection Oh. Um, <clears throat> well, I I think I can only speak personally. Okay. Um, that the things that I have, well, you know, coming. How do I say this? So growing up, I grew up in a home that encouraged a great deal of confidence, strength, um, leadership. You can do whatever you set your mind to. Um, and so in that kind of framework, there was a... Uh, I would say that my family background had a great deal of pride in what they did or didn't do, even if it wasn't wrong or helpful, <clears throat> because we were confident. Looking back, I would say that confidence, uh, especially since the Lord had nothing to do with it, <laughs> you know, because he wasn't in my life, you know, really at that time that um, the things that my family taught me was, you know, I, I can reinterpret that now as pride. You know, uh, when you're in real estate, uh, the phrase pride of ownership is often bandied about. That is, uh, you, you know, if you go to purchase a home, the real estate agent may say something like, you can tell the owner had had a pride to, to ownership because look at how well taken care of the home was. Um, well, you know uh, that that pride permeates everything. But with that pride, meant that if there was ever an accusation made by a classmate. Uh, about something that I felt strong in, then my reaction would be anger or defensiveness. Um, and oftentimes we don't link those kinds of reactions to fear, but they are there mm. because there is a fear that 
I'm not measuring up to what my mom and dad thought of me or what I thought of myself. And it didn't mean that I was, you know, if, if I was raised in a strong environment, that that I was strong in everything I did. No, it wasn't about that. Um, because there were, you know, I wasn't really good at sports. You know, I didn't, I didn't have, uh, you know, those kinds of uh, gifted traits or anything like that physically. Uh, mine was more on the on the mental side, and that's mm. why people today call me they do that. And uh, so, I was never really offended or hurt if I was picked last on a team. Mm. You see, what I'm saying because my pride lay elsewhere. So I could forego the things that I knew that I wasn't good at. But the things that I knew I was good at, if someone was better or someone attacked that, then I would I could easily react to defensiveness. You know, it starts with competition, but then it becomes angry and personal um, because you're actually attacking something that I feel is my identity. You know, as a kid, as a child. So I'm being attacked there. So that's the linking that I'm making just from my personal experience. And then, you know, over the years, as I've observed people and worked with people, I recognize that there are some of those, some of those uh, traits in everybody. I mean, you've heard the, the phrase, hurt people, hurt Right. Yes. Yes. Um, a lot too. Right. Um, and so we use that to describe bullies. And so we would never associate a bully with having fear. But if you were to break down and get through, which I have done actually in some counseling sessions, uh, uh, some adults who have been uh, who were big bullies, both physically so. You know, if someone uh, got in their way, they would just punch them right through the window of the car. You know, mm. um, they were known for their fighting ability. It was like this was way before MMA was a big deal. You know, this was actual <laughs> real life kind of stuff. I knew a couple of guys like this. But when you actually spend time talking with them, particularly as they are Christians, and and you have them peel back, well, Okay, now there's a reason why they are being so filled with rage against the world. And it's because they have felt fear at being made to dumb or small or weak, something like that. So they work to the opposite end, um, but the opposite end of, of, of that is, is not a greater strength, but a greater rage. <laughs> you know, a greater defensiveness. So that's those are some thoughts that come to mind right now. That was good. That was really good. And the, I think one of the things that I heard was the idea, in a nutshell, is that the pride, that fear is a reaction, and anger is a reaction to fear. So. Fear is a reaction to pride. Mm-hmm. So pride is the beginning, and fear comes out of that. 
and mm-hmm. uh, and where and then fear and then anger is, is comes out of fear, and where mm-hmm. pride, what I heard is where fear comes out of pride is because we have pride in a false identity. Mm. We we have placed our yes. hopes in something that that we've taken on as this is where you're talking about the tie into identity. We've taken on an identity a false identity, something that we say is us and when, and that we can operate out of and feel good about ourselves. And there's the pride. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to find my identity. For example, I'm going to find my identity in what I do. Right. A lot of people do that. I'm a fireman. Yes. I'm, you know, a police officer. I'm a pastor. I'm a, uh whatever, you know, like we find, our identity oftentimes in the wrong things and then we build and then we feel good about ourselves. Actually, we find our identity in good things, but for the, but you know, being a nurse is not a bad thing. No, no, no. But, but just clarifying, I'm just clarifying that. Um, But when it's our roots, yeah. When it's the root identity, this is who I am based on what I do. We've moved from being a human being to a human doing. Mm-hmm. And and then when that is the foundation of my identity, what I'm doing or how I'm feeling or the desires I have or even the failures I have become my identity – we're building something out of pride. We're, we have pride as we, uh, as the foundation of that. So, for instance, going back to I'm really good at this, so it's who I am, and somebody else is better. Right. Then now there's fear. There's a threat against my identity. The threat. Yes. Uh huh. Because this person. Like I've built my life on being good. Like my identity has been founded in that I'm good at this. And now somebody comes along who's even better at this. Even like when it's a good thing, nursing. Suddenly, like you said, to use that example, but there's another nurse that comes on, uh, you know, into my rotation who's incredible. And I'm, I'm really good, but but that person's really incredible. And now there's a sense of fear of losing my place, losing mm-hmm. my value, losing my worth, because I've built my identity and my worth on what I do. Mm-hmm. And this this really does go back to that moment in the Garden of Eden when... Adam and Eve were faced with a choice to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or not. And the, the, uh, the temptation that was given to them in that moment, Chris was, was, was what, what were, what were the words that, that, uh, the enemy of our souls, Satan, um, through the serpent spoke to them that what, what was it that tempted them? Well, did God say that? I mean, that's, uh, 
it, it's already casting doubt on what God said. You know, before mm-hmm. before take up long, there is no temptation. Uh, even though the the tree that leads to death is there, there's no temptation. Adam and Eve are content with that. But then the tempter comes along and says, "Oh, you won't die." In other words, he's calling God a liar, and at the same time, encourage and trying to correct their misunderstanding about something. And then he promises something far better than what God promised. Mm. But of course, we know that it was an empty promise. They actually, all they, all they received was a longing for more and death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they didn't get anything that Satan promised because they didn't have it. Um, yeah. What was that thing he promised them? That they would be uh, wise like God. Is that what you're going for? Or are you looking yeah. for the specific words? Yeah. Well, I I mean, I was really going for that, that promise that they would be like God, right? Knowing mm-hmm. good and evil. They would uh they would be like God. And he appealed to their pride. Right. He appealed to a sense of pride to be able to call the shots, to be able to make your own decisions free of, of having anyone else to listen to, right? A- autonomy. Yeah. A sense of autonomy. And it isn't that it was wrong necessarily and this is my thought and I would love for you to jump in on that on this but it wasn't wrong for the idea of being like God isn't wrong it depends on on what that definition of is to be like God right mm-hmm. because God himself has told us to to be like him to be holy as he is holy mm-hmm. And and so I guess what what matters is the terminology that Satan used. What was his intention behind that? What was he telling them? You can be like God. Was he saying that you can you can um, model your life after His and and reflect Him, or was he saying you can be like God? In other words, you can take God's place. Was it to be a reflection of God or to replace God? Hmm. Reflection or replacement? I don't know. I hadn't thought of it in those terms. Uh, You know, God God said he made them in his image. So in that sense, they are like God. Um, And the fact that they were content in their relationship with God before the serpent came, because we don't know how long it could have been three weeks, three months, or three years, or 30 years before the serpent came along. And so the idea of contentment to me says that that question never came until until the serpent made a suggestion. I, I'm sure that Adam and Eve had any pride to appeal to. Um, I think 
what happened was um, that Satan was questioning God's integrity and actually trying to persuade Adam and Eve that God lied to them. And at, at that moment, I think they began to question. And think of it. Let's say that they didn't eat the fruit right then. But all week long, what do you think they are thinking about? Mm. <laughs> right. You know, for the next month, let's say they never eat that fruit. But all month long, there is a desire now that's kindling in their heart um, about whether whether this is true or not. And um, so... To answer your question about whether they, you know, because being like God is, um, I think what Satan was tempting them to think about was the idea of this knowing good and evil. In other words, you will know everything that God knows, that God is hiding information from them purposely, intentionally. He's, he's, uh, He's he's actually that that God is actually degrading Adam and Eve, and that the, maybe they're just pawns in his little story. In other words, I, I think what Satan is painting is a diabolical picture. But in the naivety of contentment and completeness with God, it's sparking these new strange desires that they have never felt before. They never had feelings of desire or doubt or uh, a feeling of a sense of lessness. They've never had those feelings before. So I don't know, Kurt. I don't, I don't know exactly. Um, I interesting I would... to contemplate. I would say they had desires, but uh, they had, but their desires were only God's desires. Uh, they, they. I think the, the key there, what you're talking about, is that they had never known desires that were outside of God's desires. Mm-hmm. And I mean, God is passionate; He has desires. In fact, I think He had a desire for us as human beings. And the, the, the motivation, and tell me what you think of this, Chris. I think the motivation, I've thought about this. What did God desire? What was his point in putting these two trees? You know, like, well, not, not the first tree, but what was the point of a tree that would be a temptation to go outside of the relationship with him, Right. Uh, we, we talk about choice, that God loves us and gives us a choice. That if he, if he does love us, he, he, we must have a choice to choose him or to not choose him. But in doing so, what was the motivation for, for him giving, in his love, giving them this choice? What was his hope for them in choosing not to eat from that? tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what would that produce? We saw what was produced when they ate from the tree. What was going to be produced if they didn't eat from the tree? Mm -hmm. If they continued to trust God, 
rather than listen to the enemy. And for me, my thought as I've as I've pondered that was maturity. Was a growth in maturity. God gave them something that would cause tension, that would cause um, would cause a, an internal mm-hmm. battle that that would you know like they were they were in the garden they had not sinned they were not perfect they were not complete in themselves and now it's being highlighted to them that they are not complete without God and this creates an inner tension that has to be resolved and I think for my personal ponderings of this that the goal was for them to in that that place of stress and tension and temptation that they choose God and they go to him with the questions that the enemy is bringing mm-hmm. up rather than this is God who they've known, who's never done anything to them. And if they had gone back to God and asked God the questions, they would have grown. They would have, mm-hmm. they would have matured some mm-hmm. and the path to maturity was different. And here's what, Satan gives them it, the the idea of being like God was always before them. Maturity is growing into who God is, being more like God. They they had a pathway of growth. That the only point that was being made was which would they choose? Which pathway would they choose to mature? And God was giving them a pathway that uh, of maturity that would uh, would be um different, filled Mm -hmm. with life, and he also gave them a temptation, and here's what Satan was offering them, to be like God, but a shortcut. It was a shortcut to Mm -hmm. maturity. And we see it the same thing, the same kind of temptation when, when Jesus goes into the wilderness. Everything that the enemy is offering him is the goals of his, the desires of his heart. He's offering Jesus what he's after, but the shortcut to get there. And this is pride, where we choose to go our way of doing things and look for shortcuts and look for, like, we're going to take it rather than God's way, trusting God, we're going to trust in ourselves. And we're going to God's way is the long way, the painful way now because because we took the shortcut and God met us there and there was pain in that place and death and fear comes out. Why does fear come out of taking the shortcut? Because the shortcut is based on pride that we we're going to there's a better way of doing it than God's. There's an easy way of doing it than God's. I, I'm going to take it on myself and figure it out. And what happens in that, here's where pride and fear are deeply connected. And from what I think, Chris, and you tell me what you think about this. Pride says, I, I can't trust God. I can trust only myself. And then I take the world on my shoulders only to discover that it's too big for me. It's too much. 
And then as I'm trying to carry this, insecurity and fear come in. Because I, as I begin to take the shortcuts and do it my way, I find out my way doesn't work. And yet in my pride, I can't admit that. Like the depths of pride, I can't admit that I'm, I can't do this on my own. I can't make it on my own. And so I, I struggle with fear and insecurity. And because I won't go to God, I continue to deal with fear. And it's mm-hmm. fear is fear, pride is this isolating, if we go back to Antarctica through this whole thing, this isolating place that I have to be the one to do it. I can't depend on God or other people. That's the epitome of pride. And that's a place of great burden and a place of fear because it's too much. It's too much for me to handle. Your thoughts, what do you think of that idea of that connection of pride and fear? Yeah, I think that's really accurate. I think that's really accurate. Oh, yes. Uh, Build up my pride. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What could I add to that? Um, you know, we think just the basic definition of pride or uh, arrogance or big head, that kind of thing. The idea of um, I do th- I do life by myself. Um, and then the discovery, the discovery that you can't life by yourself, no matter how hard you try. Um, I, I I think uh, this is one of the secret weapons of God is is uh, letting life be terrifying and hard and full of conflicts, so that in fact we will get to the truth of our reality, which is we can't do life uh, on our own. And and it, it again presents a choice. Okay, if I can't do this my way, then something's wrong with me. Therefore, my choice is uh, uh, there is a God who says, if you do things my way, you'll discover life. Hmm. But if you, in continued pride, go, well, I'm going to take the fact that I'm flexible, or I'm going to take pride that I can cope with hardship. And in fact, uh, oftentimes in our society, what we do is we praise people for uh, being able to endure their hardships. Um but what it does really is just cement them further away from God. That that was not God's intent. God's intent is that in the discovery that you can't do life um, on your own, you have no real resource in within yourself to live beyond, you know, your seventy-five years or whatever uh, that He gives us. And that we will die <laughs> if we try to live life on our own. Uh, it's just interesting to me that the choice always continues, even after the garden. The, right. the garden is so relevant 
to each one of us because the choice is still there. Are you going to see life as it really is or are you going to see it only as you want it to be? Yeah. And, yeah. And, <laughs> and there's some and here's what's interesting about that, Chris, is that those two choices to to uh listen to seek and ask and knock as Jesus put it, to continually seek him for his guidance and his way of doing things. Ask for the, for the questions we have and the problems we have rather than try to figure them out. Go to God and knock. Look for his opportunities that he's placed in front of us instead of trying to knock down doors ourselves, right? Um, right. There are two choices, to submit to God and and seek and ask and knock or to go our way. And when we go uh when we go his way every time and that's the choice every moment like you just said and when we go his way we mature we take another step into maturity when we go the other way god gives us what we desire he gives us well and what as we i want. like to say it and uh, you take a step about, toward the truth or reality you know you yeah. take a step you know toward the truth instead of away from the lie yeah. yeah. And and here's the thing though, I think that God like people talk about punishment, God's God's wrath, punishment, whatever. Here's what I think what that looks like is simply God allowing us to go our way. Like he go mm-hmm. you know, like that's God's discipline is to let us go our way. Think about that. God God disciplines us by letting us go our way into our pride and make mm-hmm. our choices. Mm-hmm. Because what ultimately happens, what ultimately happens when we take it on our shoulders and go our way? Eventually. Yeah. What Tell happens? <laughs> no, well, you know, pride comes before, before the fall. Yeah. Consequences. It's, Consequences. We can never handle it, right? Mm-hmm. On our own, we can't handle it. And sooner or later, us trying to handle it our way, we cave into fear and we collapse. Like it's, there's no, the structure doesn't work. And that is God's discipline because what happens when we go our way and we try to do it on our own and it eventually fails and we're standing there with ashes in our hands? Mm-hmm. What does that lead us to? If we're what is what is what is God's desire in that discipline of what we would say punishment, but really discipline is different. And what what is God looking for when He lets us go our way and we inevitably find ourselves with a life that's collapsed in fear and anxiety and worry? What's His hope in that moment? It's, it's that we a face word. It's a it's a word that the prideful self hates, and it's called repentance. Yes. But the pride yes. self hate repentance because, well, the old fleshly nature, as Paul says in Romans, hates God. Yeah. It, it wants nothing to do with God. And that sinful nature is bound up in us. And, uh, and thankfully, in, you know, through faith in Christ, we've been given a new nature in the spirit that we are then encouraged to walk 
in so that we do not fulfill the desires, that mockery, the, the nature of the old flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're given that choice. We're given a choice. We're no longer enslaved to the flesh. We're actually set free from the flesh. But that doesn't mean that the garden, that the garden choice is gone. <laughs> yeah, those <laughs> choices remain. The choices Absolutely. are still there, but you must now choose to walk in your new identity with Christ, which is what you like to talk about. Um, and it's so important. So. Well. Yeah, and I, the the beauty of God's love is that he takes the things that our pride created, the fear, the death, the disease, the, uh, the, the things we're facing right now, viruses and things, and isolation. He takes those things, and he turns the things that we walked away from him into, and he uses those as tools to bring us back. Because when we fight, face fear, as the as the um, result of our pride, uh, as we face worry and anxiety because we're taking on what isn't ours to carry, because we want to prove something, we have something to prove, um, and we've built our foundation on another identity than the one God gave us, which is beloved. That's our identity. When we build it on anything else in our pride, what end of inevitably happens is we experience fear, anxiety. We we find failure, and struggle, and pain, and disease, and all this. And that is God's. He allows that to happen mm-hmm. as an invitation mm-hmm. to come back, to come yeah. back in love. And that leads when we choose that and we submit to God again, we're stepping on the path of maturity. Think yeah. about this. And we're going to go to a break, but think about this. Uh, addictions, When a, if a person got caught up in, say, a chemical dependency at the age of seven, well, well, sevens. I'm going to, I'm going to go from a, from a personal experience of someone in my family, let's say 11, chemical okay. dependency at 11 years old. And quit, got free of it at 41, 40 years later. What would the maturity level of that person be when they are free if they started at 11 and they're 41? Well, think about that for a moment. And then we're going to go to our break. We're going to hear about some other great shows. Ironically enough, one called um, The Road to Recovery, I believe, is one of the shows we're talking about. Right, Annie? Hey, friends, and thank you for tuning in to Life Hurts, God Heals. If this is Tuesday and somewhere between 7 and 9 p.m. Pacific, you're listening to us live. If you have a question for Kurt and Chris during this time, please give us a call at 323-580-5755. If you cannot call, that's okay. You can always reach us through our Facebook page, Life Hurts, God Heals, or send us an email at lifehurtsgodheals.com. 2020 at gmail.com. That's all one word. We'd also like to thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting our show. Some of the other shows that are a part of the Link Local Network are The Road to Recovery on Sundays at 7 p.m. Central, Community Voices Chat, which is currently every other Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, The Pillars of Franchising, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Link Local Network in your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any of our episodes.
Again, our email is lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com, all one word, or give us a call at 323-580-5755. And back to you, Kurt and Chris. Chris. Kurt. Any thoughts on uh, the question I asked about if a person... If a person um, became addicted to, say, a dr- drugs at 11 years old and becomes uh, becomes clear, clean of those drugs at 41, right? 30 years later, I, my math was off. Sorry, 30 years later. What what what? Uh, just from studies or from your experience, anyway, uh, you know what the the maturity level of that person would be. Do you mean the spiritual maturity or just their physical dealing with life maturity? Emotional, mental, uh, capacity to interact with other people, to handle problems, like actual maturity. So spiritual maturity, emotional maturity, I don't I don't think there's any maturity. And and the reason I, I say that is well I, I knew a fella that I worked with uh not in church but when I was a truck driver and he said to me that he had been um addicted to drugs for well, he told me it was like 35 years, 40 years, something like that. He was in his 60s, and he was living on a couch at a friend's house. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and then suddenly the drug supply stopped, and he had no access to the drugs. And uh, he was forced to be clean. And uh, he told me, he said, you know, during the entire, and he had been clean now when he spoke to me uh, of close to 15 years. Mm. And he said, you know, during the, those uh, 40 years that he was under drugs, he thought he was the smartest person in the world. <laughs> he thought that uh, uh, he didn't need to work because he was smarter. His life was together. Uh, he didn't have any fear. He had complete confidence about life and so forth. But when the drugs were taken away and he no longer had access, he said it was like I woke up from a fog. And when the fog cleared, he said, I felt like I was naked, desolate. I had nothing. Uh, and I was I was afraid of everything everything Hmm. and the only way I could get my life back to some semblance of order was to just overcome my fears and he said that took a great deal of effort to do that so Hmm. I don't know Uh, that that was his experience but my guess is that you lose a lot of life when you are in that kind of capacity man I love that story and it, it, it backs up. So last year there was um, research came out. Uh, Richard J. Rose, a professor emeritus in psychology and brain science at the Indiana University Bloomington 
Uh, he led his team in a groundbreaking first-of-its-kind study that showed adolescents who abuse alcohol or drugs have enormous difficulties transitioning into adulthood. They, they actually did studies and uh, found that this is true. Um, though adults are expected to display an advanced sense of wisdom and a heightened understanding of consequences, these traits can be stunted by addiction. And what you described, I think, is what those words describe. And what you described in that story is also the story of Adam and Eve. You just nailed it right there, Chris. That story illustrates their nakedness when they turned away from God, right? Mm-hmm. And realized, he, you, you said he, for the first time, he realized how how naked he was. Yeah. You know, uh it, like he he found himself stripped. I I have a a thought on this. Adam and Eve when they faced the reason like they um never worried about this stuff until Satan and his pride began to infect them with it. Right and began to right, get them right. thinking about that. That infection, that first virus, yeah. that infection of pride that came on. Before that, there was no, that was not an issue because I've been thinking a lot about this and that Adam and Eve, and I think I've talked a little bit about this. That Adam and Eve, when Adam says after they they fell and god they hid and god comes into the garden and he, he says you know where are you which for me is just him calling out for a response he knows where they are he's calling out for them to respond because he wants he's it's his invitation for them to to engage him again and right. what adam says is i'm naked we're naked, so I hid, right? I'm naked, so I hid. Yet, right before that, it says he clothed himself in leaps. He wasn't naked. Right. But, yeah. But he says, I'm naked. Because before they, the reason, they felt, they realized how naked they were in that moment because they had lost something. They had yeah. lost something that, God had given them that they were going to mature in if they stayed with God. Right. And that was this, God's glory. They were clothed in it. They were clothed in his glory. I really, I'm thinking more along the lines of, of Moses, the only one of Israel who went up on the mountain and had this supernatural encounter with God to the point he, he said, show me your glory. God passed before just a brief moment passed before Moses and he got like the tail end of God's glory. Right. And yet he comes down off that mountain and what is his, what is his, um, physical, um, his physical, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, well, it's like he used a lot of Mary Kay product. He's glowing. (laughs) He's glowing. <laughs> yeah, he's literally glowing with light. He's like glowing, bathed in light, and so that the Israel begged him to 
to veil his face because they couldn't handle the reflection of God's glory off of him. Now imagine Adam and Eve living in that every moment. We often picture them in the books and everything as naked flesh, seeing their skin. And, you know, we have like leaves and trees, you know, um, sure. Positioned modesty things. Yeah. To, uh-huh. to, to cover the, the spots. But what if that's not accurate? What if, if that was Moses after a brief encounter with God, just, to, just getting the afterglow, how about the fact that Adam and Eve were interacting with God day in and day? It says he walked with them, right? In the cool of the day, yeah. he was, what what would that that what would they be reflecting God like? How, yeah. Would we even see any skin at all because they were bathed in in God's glory and such power? And then the moment comes where they 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 buy into the lie of the enemy to be like God, and the glory is removed. And they when Adam declares he's naked, he is not talking about fig leaves. Yeah. He's talking about the sense of God's glory, the completeness of God that had completed them is gone. And they right. now realize they are naked and incomplete. And your friend was declaring that like he had something else that he turned to, like Adam and Eve, to prop that up, to make himself feel complete and whole, to find right. it didn't really do the job. And yeah. This is what but people any, don't even need drugs to do that. You see, right, people right. can use jobs or they can use exactly. their success or even their children and their family and, and uh, their identity is attached to their motherhood and they pour their life that way or into fatherhood. I mean, there's so many ways to corrupt what God has given as good and turn it into a covering um, that God never designed to have it cover us or yes. hide us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And eventually, every one of those people who have those experiences you're talking about, whether they cover themselves with a job or motherhood or fatherhood or marriage or uh, whatever, sex or whatever, Eventually, they have the same experience. We all do. We all have the same experience that your friend had. Eventually, we when that's some way somehow that will be stripped away. Maybe the kids will move out. I'm a mother. I'm a father. That right. then the kids move out, and suddenly I'm stripped naked. And, and suddenly, that's a fear. Now the fear is revealed again. Yes. Yeah. The fear is yeah. always there, but I Correct. have other things to try to prop myself up. Right. And here and here's the gift of fear, though. This is the beautiful thing. So all of those things will never complete me. None of those things are my identity. I am, you know, I part of my identity, the good stuff is I am a father. I'm not a mother, but I am a father and I am a husband. And that's part of my identity. If I if I let those be the foundation of my identity rather than what God says of me as that I'm his beloved child first right. and foremost. Right. If I let any of those other things prop me up then uh, and clothe me, it's an incomplete it's an incomplete uh identity. It's not the true it's not the foundation of my identity and fear is in that. And 
here's the beauty though in fear. Like mm-hmm. what we're facing now, we we are being stripped naked as as a world. Mm-hmm. Um from from the things that have propped us up. This is the gift of I know this is going to be controversial in saying this, but there God uses all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What could mm-hmm. be the good and what's the gift in the middle of this terrible tragedy called COVID-19, COVID-19, right? Mm-hmm. What if it is the stripping away of the things that prop us up, the relationships? Now we're right. in isolation. Finances, right. now that's being stripped away. All of these things. What if this is showing us, getting us down, stripping us down to our fear, So we, and that fear is an invitation from God to bring it to him? and to find ourselves clothed in his glory and completeness yet again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think as believers, that is something that the more we grow in Christ, the more we realize how propped up we are. And um, and sometimes we don't. Um, I See, I, I think when we're talking about maturity, and you've, you've brought that uh, up several times, um, or sometimes I like to call it exploring God. <laughs> you know, maturity is exploring who God is. But oftentimes in our Christian walk, if we are not growing or exploring or maturing, then we don't know because it's because we've been kind of developing a kinship with the world and a kinship with the way the world thinks. And we begin to build our life with the building blocks that the world has. As Christians, we do that. And I think these kinds of times that like this virus is not just, you know, because this is what I pray for. I pray that uh, unbelievers who don't believe in God might cry out to him or might reconsider the reality of his existence because they see the reality of their own existence, which is faltering. Mm-hmm. But I also pray for, for believers mm-hmm. that this will reveal to them uh, places where they have built bad foundations. They've used, you know, uh, faulty supplies from the world to build their foundation rather than in Christ. And, and so in that revealing, you know, I think God is desiring that, that his children uh, reestablish where their true foundation is. And then for those who have been uh, maturing, exploring, growing in their relationship with Christ, they, they, they were already persuaded that this world uh, is is filled with false goods and uh, they they were fully building their life that way but i pray that for them and for myself that um not that we would hunker down but that in fact we would go beyond foundation building but actually um, um moving into love in other words, moving away from fears and actually, because, you know, this is an interesting thing. When we are, you know, they, the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. 
Now, this is interesting because, so this is God's desire for us, is that fear would not be in within us or even attached to our identity. But it's interesting that sometimes we teach Christianity as something that helps us overcome fear. That is, that we are to conquer our fears. Well, when you really think about that, that's actually something the world does. The world is about conquering and being courageous over fears. Or if there's a choice between fear and doing the right thing, you do the right thing. But I'm seeing that in my relationship with God, the more I grow in God, the more that fear is... There's nothing... Fear is not something to be conquered because it's not there. It's an absence. Mm -hmm. it's, It's absent from my life. And when fear... When I do sense feelings of fear, to me, that's a marker. For me personally, that's a marker that something's not right. Yes. And in previous decades of my Christian life, it was about, hey, I'm going to be bold and I'm going to be strong for the Lord thy God is with me, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm going to conquer my fear. I'm going to overcome. We're going to be more than overcomers. You know, we use the Romans 8 passage for that. Conquerors, right? And yet there's no word fear in that passage. Right. Um, I think it's really interesting. Uh, I pulled up this Psalm 27. It's, a, it's only a three-verse psalm. But listen to what, what David says. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Mm-hmm. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. And it's not like he has to exert himself. It's, it's like there's nothing that I have to exert. I just need to recognize that God is the strength of my life. If yes. he's my strength, I have nothing to fear. I do not even need to fear the loss of my own life. I do not need to fear even the loss of my children's lives because I know they know the Lord. Hmm. You see, and, yeah. uh, it's... it's uh, and it's understanding that God's wisdom is working in and through all of these things. I don't know. I just think there, there is, uh, for Christians, I am praying that for the mature believers, you know, for the immature believers, you know, it's about getting rid of the bad foundations of the world and rebuilding our foundation on Christ. But for those of us who are hopefully in the maturing aspect, it is about, so now that I don't have fear, how do I love? How do I love the people around me? How do I love people because of my love for God and finding extraordinary ways to bring glory to God? You know, you brought up glory. So, so that God's glory is expressed through us. It's reflected. Uh, through love. To ref- yeah, exactly. Like Moses. So. Well, what you said... First of all, you hinted in the beginning at this scripture, um, the Apostle Peter, 
in his uh, first letter, he, First Peter four seventeen. For the time has come for judgment, and must begin with God's household. It is it is God in this. It brings the idea of judgment is to, uh, like you said, expose things that are mm. out of whack. That's all God. God mm. doesn't bring judgment to condemn us. He brings mm-hmm. judgment to expose what's lacking. So right. What, and fear, you said fear is not something tangible. It is actually an absence. It is, it is an, a vacuum. It is something is missing. Fear, the mm-hmm. feeling of fear is actually an absence of something. And I would agree with that. It is the absence of faith. If we mm. feel fear, right. we, we, are, we are in that moment not holding to trust in God. And so here's when you, you mentioned First John. Uh, 4.18, perfect love drives out fear. And I would agree with that scripture in this way. We always are going to deal with fear. We can't overcome it in the typical way of like just trying to, like fear will always be generated in us as long as we're living in this world. Mm-hmm. It, but it isn't the question of of not having feelings of fear. We will have them, all of us. And in those moments, it's now it's an, a matter of faith. Perfect love drives out fear if we choose. We have two choices. We can be we can allow fear to drive us to God, and His perfect love drives out fear. So we can allow our fear to drive us to God, or we can allow it to drive us away from God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are the two choices, and the gift that fear and everything that's happening can be for us if we face it, recognize it, and rather than try to medicate it, mm-hmm. rather than to try to prop it up with something that only clothes it and makes us feel good, like that story of the guy on drugs, he was feeling confident and powerful and like he knew everything, but he was just covering his fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have the only way to deal with fear really that matures us is to let our fear drive us to God. And then we give it over to him. We allow it. We confess our fear. We ask him to, we continue to ask until we get answers. We continue to ask, seek and knock God in my fear. I'm driven to you. What's going on? Why is this happening? I need your guidance. I need your provision. Can you please show me, like show me what's Mm -hmm. going on. And when we allow our fear to drive us to God, his perfect love drives it away. Yeah. He drives it out in trust. And we and the more we do that, the more we walk in greater maturity because we're reflecting as we go to God in his presence, like Moses, like Adam and Eve before the fall, we as we come into God's presence with our issues we're coming into his presence. When we're driven to God in our fear, we come into his presence and his presence, his completeness overwhelms our incompleteness. And I like, I was thinking about this and it drives out fear, right? So um, when we're overwhelmed by God, we overflow with God. When we're overwhelmed with God, we overflow with God. And he is not afraid. He is not panicked. 
He is not freaked out. And so when we come to him and let him overwhelm us with his courage and his boldness, his strength, his power, his wisdom, his insight, his love, we are overwhelmed in the completeness of God and it overflows out of us. And then we begin to, the more we come to God, the more we mature, the more our eyes are open to see the opportunities that are uh-huh. out there for us right. in this moment. And we become the most, the most innovative, inventive, ingenious people in the land. The opposite is to be driven away from God in fear, and we go into immaturity and stay stagnant and stuck. Those are the only two choices we have. And the gift of God in this season is to come is to allow this to drive us to God. Yeah. And ask, yeah. seek and knock and grow in maturity and reflecting him. You know, the greatest example in the in the Bible for me about this is David. Mm. Because David you know, we all familiar with uh David before he was king as a young shepherd boy, he uh he didn't have any fear of this giant Goliath while no. the rest of the Israelite soldiers were quaking in their boots, so to speak. And, and he takes care of this giant. But um, later on in his life, he's being chased down by King Saul, who feels threatened by an older David because he is aware that David's been anointed king, that the people already want David, young David, to be king and that they don't want Saul. And so Saul chases David all over the land and David is driven into caves and caverns and and so forth. And the, many of the Psalms that we have are written of, of his fears during this time. And, uh, and it's interesting to me because in all of those, well, I, I would say most of those Psalms, He's dealing with that choice that you're talking about, Kurt, that choice to fear or not to fear. And what's always amazing is that David is, is this enigma of both. He's iconic in terms of, of zeal for the Lord and fearlessness when it comes to the Lord. But when it comes to his own life, he's a panicked wreck of a person yeah you know he's just filled with fear and tears and anxiety he doesn't sleep uh when he gets older his uh he's he's diseased his his bones are sick everything is aching in his life and yet through all of those fears through all of his life he writes about he writes in detail about all of his feelings and yet he speaks of the choice that he makes. Uh, I will trust in the Lord. Yes. Trust, trust, trust. Mm. Trust, trust, trust. In other words, I'm going to trust even in the presence of fear. And sometimes his psalms, kind of like this Psalm 27, indicate that uh, he trusts so much that fear disappears. And I think that's that's the the place where I uh, at, at least want to stress because you are right. All of us will face the temptation of fear, the choice of fear, 
But at that moment, what will we do? And what's interesting and fascinating is that when we choose trust, we're really choosing to love God. And Mm -hmm. when we actually make the choice to trust God, fear disappears. In other words, there is no longer the choice to fear in that particular circumstance because the choice for faith has been made. You've, you've, you've abandoned fear so that you may embrace love. And when you embrace the love of God and, and you believe that God's love will abound to you, whether in sickness or health or death or virus, and that uh, God is going to listen to your prayers and he's going to supervise your family and the concerns you have there or for the world or for friends or, or whatever. When you put your full launch love upon God, that fear disappears. And and I'm automatically reminded of, of uh, the Hebrew writer who then says, so now let's approach the throne with boldness and confidence. Mm. You know, now, now that we, now that we've reestablished the original intent of God, let's get on with living. Let's, let's be uh, an ambassador for Christ. Let's face you know, as Paul would face the riots for the glory of God. Let's face prison with a glory of God. Let's face the disease. Let's face our cancers. Let's face the sufferings that are bound to come, but not face them with fear, but face them because of a great love and trust for God. Okay, I'll get off my steps no. now. No, no, it's, it's, you're just saying the same thing, and that is when the, David, when he made the choice to go to God and was overwhelmed in God's presence. He, it's not that we suddenly become brave. It's that God's brave courage and boldness overwhelms us, and we become him. We become like him, right? And this is In his this image, is, more fully, yeah. Right, and this is the path of choosing God, grows us to be like him it's that we can't it's not a shortcut we can't take shortcuts to get there we can't be propped up by something else we have to choose god over anything that will self-medicate when we do choose god we are we be grow to be overwhelmed in his in his courage and his glory and his power, his completeness overwhelms our incompleteness and our fear goes away. And so the enemy wants to use fear as a tool to drive us away from God. That's the innate desire that happens when fear comes on is to hide, is to go away from people. And I mean, what we're all doing now is a prophetic statement of what fear always does. It isolates. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is God pointing out in a physical way where fear always does. If the enemy uses fear as a tool to to lead us into isolation from God and other people, and so here's where it becomes God's tool. If we will do what you know, whatever fear says to do, do the opposite. 
Like that's, that's discernment right. and wisdom. Whatever fear that your fear is telling you to do, when you recognize that you're afraid, do the opposite of what you're feeling in your fear to do, which is instead of hiding, go to God. Go immediately and connect with God. Connect with people and see the opportunities then as you connect with God and with other people to be overwhelmed by mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yeah. agree. So, yeah. So, Chris, uh, you you want to do something. Yeah, I I just... I would like just to take a brief moment and uh, and pray for yeah. those who might be listening now or pray for those who might listen on a future podcast broadcast uh, that they pick up. And um, I don't know what to pray for, but I'm just I'm just going to enter in. Well, Father, in Jesus' name, oh, you, you've got one. Okay, no, go for it. No, just before you do this, no, I, I want you to pray. And I didn't want to interrupt, and I'm sorry. But I really do think this is the, I think we've wrapped up. I think this is the end of, uh, like, our prayer time right now is the end of the show. And I would love for you to close this out, Chris, with with prayer as the Spirit leads. Okay. All right. <laughs> just want to make sure. Uh So, Lord, um, you know our hearts, and you know every single person who's listening now or will listen, because you know all things. And, Father, you know each person, and you know who they are, you know where they've come from, you know what they've come out of, you know the difficulties they face, you know the... um, You know the aspects that have made them who they are. And Lord, we here on, uh, we we just want to spend some time recognizing, Lord, your fullness as the Lord of creation and the Lord of life. And Father, we may not understand every issue about suffering and why you allow it to happen. We try to build handlebars on this show to understand life hurts, but that you are the healer. And Father, I'm just asking for those who are listening that whatever fears that they are experiencing right now, both for family, maybe a family member is experiencing this virus and so the future is unsure, Um, Maybe a job has been temporarily put on hold or perhaps completely shut down, and that's producing fear. Mm. Even the sense of isolation that people here are are feeling uh, and wondering how long can they do this to be uh, isolated this way. Father... uh, I don't know how to pray. I'm just bringing these things to you and I'm asking Father in Jesus' name that you will help them, that you will bring about a fullness of love, a fullness of understanding in their life that they would know that you are the Lord of of everything and that you want to be the Lord of of each person's life. 
and with that lordship, a, a sense of ownership that they would realize that that you own them, and that uh, uh, you are a, a a tender, generous, jealous father for each one, and you desire that each one would call on your name and and trust you and entrust their life to you. And so, Lord, I'm asking that your spirit would just encompass each person listening uh, like like a, a bathrobe around them, <laughs> knowing that they are in your living room and that there is nothing that is going to befall them that is contrary to your designs and purposes and that... Uh, you would bring about the kind of faith that we've been talking about on the show, the kind of love that casts out fear, that we would recognize that, yes, we, we do struggle with fear attached to identity and to pride and to former constructs that we have discovered are faulty and broken, that governments can't fix everything and money can't fix everything. But you are the strength of our life, mm. and you can be the song of our life. And yes. Father, I pray that you would bring a song into each person's life as they just yield, even as they're listening to this prayer, that they would yield their life to you yes, and recognize the fullness of your strength, uh, the, the, the great strength of your arms around, around each person, around their family, around the distance. Oh, Lord, I know so many who can't even visit a loved one in the hospital because of the restrictions and, and uh, how devastating that is. But even in there, Lord, in that equation, in that difficulty, would you move in to that person's life and cause them mm-hmm. to know your abounding love and strength and that you will take care of that loved one according to your most loving design, what is best. We do ask, Father, for healing for our nation, healing for people's lives, healing for those who have a virus, whatever it is. Yes, Lord, that there would be an end to this. But in the meantime, Lord, I'm praying even more that more folks, more people would call on your name and recognize the true reality of who they are and your and your great love for them, and that's those are my prayers. Kurt, do you yeah. have anything you want to add? I uh, I just want to confess that I give into my fear all the time, God. Rather than what we're talking about tonight, um, I do this. I go into I listen to the fear, and hide within myself from you, from my wife, from my kids, from everyone around me, way too often. And I just want to confess that. God, that I I want to grow in maturity. I want to seek you in faith in the moments where I'm afraid and grow in maturity and be overwhelmed by how complete you are. And I recognize that it's my pride that leads me to want to do it on my own and how devastating that is for me and for everyone around me. So I just confess that, God. I, I think of today. I did it a lot today. I hid away a lot, and I thank you that yet you still use me. 
and and you uh, allow Chris and I to do this, that you led us to do this show. And God, I thank you that even in my weakness, you show yourself strong in our weakness. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. allow other people to see that we're not perfect and we struggle with these things. And yet you're using us in the midst of our struggles with fear and pride. So God, I confess my pride. I confess my ego. I confess my lack of faith. And I confess my fear. And I ask that you would lead others to do the same in the confidence that you are perfect love. That is your identity. And we are perfectly loved. That is our identity. And would you lead us to walk in that? And thank you that as Chris described the word, you as a jealous God, that many people might take that in the human terms of jealousy that's a finite, um, incomplete, flawed kind of jealousy. But God, you are jealous for us to uh, be filled with your love rather than anything that would any other identity or anything that we could chase after that doesn't complete us. You are jealous for us to come to you and as our father, you are jealous for us to come to you in a holy jealousy that is meant for us to be complete. It is not a selfish jealousy. It is a selfless Mm -hmm. kind of jealousy that you are jealous for us to be complete in you rather than right. chasing after all the things that keep us incomplete. Thank you, and, Lord. Uh, and we, we just declare that of you. You are holy, and even your jealousy is way different from human terms. It is a good thing, a jealousy for our wholeness. And so we praise you for that, and we ask that everyone listening, that you would bring the people who need to listen to this, and that you would lead every person to walk and surrender to you if they if for the first time, as Chris said, and for those who have never done that, we pray that for them. But also for those who are growing in maturity, God, who have turned to you but are struggling like us, we pray for a strengthening. And we pray for a greater wisdom and uh, that we would walk in the footsteps of David and who walked in the footsteps of Jesus. And we would follow you more and more and submit to you like never before. So bring surrender. Bring in this season of fear, lead it to drive us, use it to drive us to you and your completeness. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. (laughs) 